You're listening to What's the Difference podcast, a podcast about resilient women living our best lives with invisible disabilities. Created and hosted by Jackie Rosen and co-hosted by Cynthia Chang Mintz, Sarah Patel, and Samantha Moore. To view the video version of this episode, please visit our website at whatsthedifferencepodcast.ca. You can also connect with us on Instagram or Facebook at What's the Difference Podcast or on Twitter at Podcast WTD. Welcome to another episode of What's the Difference Podcast. As you might see and hear, things have changed. I'm your host, Sarah Patel, today, and Jackie Rosen is going to be speaking to us about her um, baby and her journey having Hannah, and we also have Samantha Moore with us, co-hosting. So welcome, everybody, and I'm really excited to hear what Jackie um, has to say as a new mom. Like, I've... I've heard some stories and things like that, but I'm excited to have this conversation with all of our listeners. Well, thank you. And I think you handled that introduction absolutely perfectly. So yay. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I miss being on the podcast, man. I miss this because it's been a while now since we've recorded an episode. So uh, I think it's been about six weeks. So this is really nice to be back into the swing of things and get back on this podcast. And um, yeah, so it's been an interesting um, six weeks since we last filmed an episode. And I know both of us have had stuff going on too. And you're still recovering from your accident and uh, check out her YouTube channel. And um, you can see some of her YouTube videos will be uploaded to our What's the Difference podcast Instagram. So you could check it out there as well. So now that I've given you a bit of a plug there. Um, yeah. So Hannah is uh, obviously my daughter. Um, she was born Exactly. So today we're recording this on March 2nd, March 2nd already. Wow. And she was born exactly 22 days ago. So um, it's been like the slowest and the fastest 22 days of my life, <laughs> both at the same time. Um, and it has not been an easy, uh, it's not been an easy few weeks. I'm not going to lie about that. It's been quite challenging. She was born at 37 weeks and three days gestation. Um, so I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll just go back a little bit to, you know, what was leading up to her birth. And um, basically, as I hit about 35 and a half weeks, I was in so much pain, uh, chronic pain in my pelvic floor that I was barely able to move and barely able to do anything. And I was basically couch ridden and crying for most of the day because it was so difficult um, I could hardly move to the bathroom. Like I could hardly sleep. Everything was just an absolute mess. And I know that, um, this could be an issue being pregnant anyway, is that a lot of women at the end of their pregnancy do have a lot of trouble with their pelvic floor, but with my chronic pain condition, it was just beyond what I could manage anymore. And so because Hannah was at a good weight, she was, um, measured at six pounds, 15 ounces when I was 36 weeks, which was amazing, a really good weight for a baby that of that gestational age. So I talked to my OB about the possibility of having a C-section earlier than originally planned. Originally, I was supposed to have a C-section uh, at 38 weeks and five days gestation. And, uh, you know, there's always a concern about having a baby a little bit too early, but Hannah would be full term still. She'd be early term, but she'd be full term. And my OB was said, yeah, like we prefer to keep it closer to 39 weeks, but she's at a good weight. And if you're uncomfortable with doing it early, let's see if there's a cancellation. 
yeah, 36 weeks, six days. And on that, on that, at that particular appointment. And then uh, I went to the booking office to see if we could move up my C-section. And they found, <laughs> they were like, Hey, can you come on Monday? Which was four days away. And I'm like, Hmm, can I come on Monday? That's a little soon, but um, we could probably get everything together this weekend in order for her to be born. Um, and so I called my husband and I said, Dennis, can we have a baby on Monday? Are we, are we ready for this? And he said, yeah. And then he broke into this huge giggle. And so I said to the booking lady, just make sure it's okay again with the OB, because I said, I think originally the plan was to just go a week in advance, not a week and a half. So she goes, she goes back to him and she comes back to me and she's like, he said, it's up to you. And I'm like, well, he wouldn't say it was up to me if it was dangerous. So I think I'm going to say, okay. So we booked it for Monday, February 8th. And again, this was like February 4th. So it was happening really quickly. And then the weekend leading up to her birth is kind of a blur because I think that weekend was the worst pain I've ever had in my life. And it was the most uncomfortable, miserable day I've ever had in my life. Uh, the two days before she was born. And so I was, any doubts that I had about, you know, maybe this is too early to, to, to bring her into the world and all that, any doubts that I had kind of ended that weekend when I was like, I can't do this anymore. This is so hard. Um, and kudos to people who like go to 41, 42 weeks. I don't know how they do it. I could barely make it to 37. So, so Hannah was born at Mount Sinai hospital in Toronto, which is, uh, has slightly different rules than some of the other hospitals. So Mount Sinai actually allows partners to be in for the C-section, which is what normally would be allowed. Um, and then they're allowed to stay. They're allowed to leave the hospital if they absolutely need to. They have to be screened for COVID once per day, not tested, but screened. Um, and they're technically not supposed to eat in the hospital. They're supposed to leave the hospital to eat, um, but nobody enforces that. So, and we ended up having a private room. So Dennis ate in the patient room the entire time. Um, he's technically not supposed to take off the mask. Uh, that was a little interesting. They didn't enforce that rule either. So um, there were a lot of times that nurses and doctors would walk in and neither Dennis and I were wearing a mask. Um, and then I felt bad later. I'd be like, oh my God, I forgot to wear a mask. And there was one point where I was like, oh my God, where's my mask? And the nurse was like, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, because all the nurses are wearing PPE and they're very prepared for it. And the, and the great thing about Mount Sinai is that um, there's been very, very few cases of pregnant women with COVID at Mount Sinai. And I don't think there were any at the time I was there. So, and I mean, we've been home from the hospital now, uh, I guess something like 17 days and we haven't, we haven't gotten sick or gotten COVID. So I think we're good now. But, um, so that was interesting. Uh, it was a little less strict than we thought it would be as far as COVID regulations and Dennis being able to be there. Uh, thank God he was able to be there because I don't think I would have been able to get through if he hadn't. Um, the C-section was, Interesting. Now, I, I think every woman has a different experience with this. Some women don't feel anything. Some women are actually given a general anesthetic and they don't know anything that happens. Uh, I have a friend that actually had that happen to her because it was a situation where she required a general anesthetic. Um, so in my case, so they did an epidural. Um, it's really interesting when you're going in and you've never, you're not actually in labor. So I never went into labor. I have no idea what it's like. I kind of consider lucky that I did like actually some people said oh if I could have only avoided labor that would have been great um but the c-sections are not fun and and you know I think for people who are lucky enough to have um no complications and they can have a um you know a, even a medicated vaginal birth or something like that 
in my case, because of my pelvic floor pain, I decided to avoid the whole um, possibility of a vaginal birth because I, I was told that there were probably less risks to my pelvic floor by doing a C-section. Uh, there's still no, there's still not no risk, but there's less of a risk. A C-section is basically some women feel everything, some women feel nothing. I was kind of in between. It didn't feel particularly like they were cutting me open or anything like that, but I could feel the pulling and the punching and like I felt them pull her out. Well, one of my friends did say you might feel some stuff as they're rearranging it after they put you back together. That's what my one of my friends told me. And I was like, okay, that's fine if I feel some stuff. I didn't realize it would hurt. So um, I also, as I've mentioned in many episodes, I suffer from pretty bad anxiety and panic attacks and OCD. So uh, I was hysterical in the operating room. And they don't let, so they let Dennis come in after you have the epidural. So I had the epidural and then Dennis was allowed in. And then Dennis was holding my arm on one side because um, sometimes they actually tie people down. They didn't tie me down. Um, but... Uh, there was the, I believe it was the anesthetist holding my arm on the other side. Um, and it was Dennis holding my arm on the left, this arm he was holding. And um, I do remember that they had asked in advance about what music I wanted playing when she was born, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, so any song that I heard in the operating room that day is going to send me into a mush of emotions these days now um, because it was on during her birth. And yeah, when they pulled her out, I definitely felt it. Um, it felt weird. It felt really weird. Um, and then I was told like, oh, you're going to be super nauseous when they put you back together and all that. And I actually didn't have any nausea. It was amazing. I was like, uh, the thing I was so worried about, the nausea didn't turn out to be the thing that was the scariest. The scariest thing was the feeling of being pulled apart. That was scary. Um, and then Dennis actually has a bit on video, which uh, I will not share with the podcast because it's a little bit gruesome, um, of them pulling her above above the sheet where they put the sheet to block you from seeing what's going on in the table. So they, they put her up in the air and Dennis has video of that moment. And of course, he did show me later and I burst into tears. Um, well, I'm so glad that he was able to be a part of that moment and captured that on, on video. Like that's a memory you're going to have forever right because i was like i was actually like that was one of the questions i had and i never got to ask you is like was because of covid was dennis actually be uh, like allowed in the yeah. operating room so you answered yeah that. <laughs> yeah no he was there and he was crying and i hear when i listen back to it i hear him crying uh, and it makes me cry um and then so what happens i think the scariest thing was uh, obviously not i think it was the scariest thing was that hannah ended up having to go to the NICU for 48 hours and for people who don't know, the NICU is a neonatal intensive care unit. Um, and I was a NICU baby myself because of the heart condition. Um, when I was born, my parents right away, as I've mentioned this in previous episodes again, my parents noticed immediately I wasn't breathing properly. And they, you know, they said, okay, something's wrong, something's wrong. And then four hours after my birth, I was diagnosed with tetralogy of flow with absent pulmonary valve, which is my congenital heart defect. And um, so... At that point, you know, my parents were told she's probably not going to live. And they rushed me to across the street. I was actually born at Mount Sinai as well. So they rushed me across the street to the hospital for sick children. And I was in the neonatal intensive care unit there. Um, and my mom was kind of left with, oh, you know, I might not make my baby might not make it to, to see the next day. And it was horrible for them. 
So what happens when a baby's born by C-section, for people who don't know, is that it, because when a baby's born vaginally, everything kind of smushes them up, they get the fluid out of their lungs because there's fluid in their lungs. And that causes, a vaginal birth will cause them to expel the fluid out of their lungs uh, by the squishing motion. And when you take a baby out by C-section, they don't have that experience. So as somebody mentioned, they're not as squished, so they look nicer, but they also don't get the fluid out of their lungs. So unfortunately, that happened to Hannah. She had... Um, I forget again what it's the actual uh, name, but I know the acronym is TTN. So she had TTN. Um, they, I guess they suctioned her a lot um, when they brought her to me in recovery. So I basically saw her for about a minute in the operating room. They touched her to my cheek. I saw her for a few minutes and they took her away. Then they gave her to Dennis because I was shaking, so I couldn't hold her. And here you imagine like this, this whole thing in my head, mind that I imagine when I have the baby and then they're put in my arms and then Dennis and I are crying together and all that. And this is what I kept imagining in my head. And of course it was nothing like that. It was more, here's your baby. Oh, that's her. Okay. We got to take her away to clean her up. I'm shaking. I'm anxious. Dennis is excited, but we're, there was none of that like teary moment or anything like that. That did not happen. Um, and so yeah, when they put her, they put her on top of me in recovery. And of course in recovery, I'm like woozy and everything. And then right away, we're like, yeah, she's not breathing properly. So they took her off me. They took her to another section of recovery, tried to clear out her lungs. It wasn't working so well. And I kept asking, is she going to have to go to NICU? Is she going to have to go to NICU? And they said, well, she might. We don't know. And then about an hour later, the doctor comes in, the pediatrician, and says, yeah, we have to take her to the NICU. And I fell apart because I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is the same story. This is like what I was born. This is horrible. This is... From that point onwards, I mean, the whole thing is now fuzzy. It's been three three weeks and a day. The whole thing is fuzzy, but from especially from the point they took her to the NICU onwards, my memories from that night are shot. I can't remember much. And it's troubling for me because I have a really, really, really good memory. So when I can't remember something, it makes me very upset. Um, and it's interesting to note because something that happened to me when I was in one of my heart surgeries back when I was eight years old was that they did give me a drug that would erase my memory. And I think they did that for kids back then. So that really bothered me because there's a whole part of me going into surgery as an eight-year-old that I don't remember. And I have very strong memories from that surgery. So this was like the same thing was happening again, but now it was with my daughter. And then so I had all these feelings. Basically, I got to hold Hannah for all of like two minutes or five minutes of the day she was born. And I didn't see her for any longer than that. And I was so upset. And even though they told me, you know, she'll probably be okay in two to three days. She just needs to get, get the fluid out of her lungs and we're going to take good care of her. It didn't matter. They told me that. I was still a mess. I was going, oh, my God, my baby is my baby's going to have the same life that I had. Even though they kept assuring me that everything was fine. She was going to be okay. She just needed treatment. And then the next day, they actually took me, uh, Dennis took me to the NICU to see her. Now, this is the problem right now, is that only one parent is allowed in the NICU at a time because of COVID. So I could not be there with him. I was there alone. And the nurses and doctors were doing their rounds. And I remember them coming around to, to talk about her case. And I just sat there and melted down. And I said, I need my husband here. I need my husband here. And they're like, no, you can't have him here. And I said, well, then he's waiting out in the hall. You need to tell him what you all just said in rounds. Because I said, I am not of the mindset right now to repeat that to him. Mm -hmm. So they went out. 
Um, and then right away, uh, you know, it was like the, the social worker came in to talk to me and then I got this book about the NICU and about, you know, visiting hours and all that. And it's meant for parents that are staying a long time. They actually had told me that the room that she was put in was the room that for babies that didn't need the NICU for very long. So it was, it was like the, the room for the babies that go home the fastest. So it was like they said, don't worry, she's not going to be in here long. All the babies that are in here, they go home like really fast. So they told me that, that she's in like the temporary room. Um, so that made me feel better. And they, and they kept saying, yeah, she'll probably be okay in two to three days and all that. But I was still terrified. And here I am holding, they finally put her in my arms and she's just covered in tubes. And it's like, oh, this is like what my life was like the first few weeks. So it was very, very hard, even though completely separate thing, completely very temporary diagnosis. She's going to be fine. The flashbacks to what my parents have talked about was just overpowering. And the other thing that I want to mention is that because I look young for my age, I'm going on 37 this year. And I do tend to look young. And so people, I think a lot of people assumed there that I was a young mother. And so I was talked down to a lot. And that was kind of hard because I was like, I felt like a teenager at that point. And I didn't feel like an adult. I think it was, it was when, I, when I was at the, the desk at the NICU waiting for Dennis to wheel me back to my room, which was two floors down, I believe. And I was there waiting, and, and this, this, the head of the NICU, or the nurse head, or whatever, whoever she was, came up to me. She's like, hello, mom. Here's a book about the NICU. Here's what the, and, and she, the way she was talking to me, I felt like she doesn't see me as an adult. And maybe I was wrong. Maybe it was just that I was overfeeling stuff that day, clearly. But I just felt like, and I, I felt like a lot of, people might have seen me as younger than I was. And also it's because of the way I handle stuff because of my mental health issues and because of my panic disorder and my general anxiety disorder, I tend to act younger when I'm in panic mode. So I think that people were trying to calm me down more like I was a kid and, and I will go into that kid state if I'm, if I'm like hysterical or in crisis, I, I, I will act like a child sometimes. And that's just, it's just from trauma. That's what it is. It's from past trauma. And then I was facing current trauma. And I think when I went into this experience, I was like, well, you know, if I'm going to the hospital for a C-section, this is a good thing. You know, yes, it's a major surgery. I get a baby out of it. This is awesome. But it's still major surgery. It's still painful as all hell. So she was in the NICU for a total of 48 hours. Uh, so we were, they took her to the NICU. Actually, it was a little less. They took her to the NICU at 5 p.m. on the Monday, and she came up to our room at 2.30 on the Wednesday, and we have video of that, of course, of her. Uh, we, we actually made the nurse, because we were like, oh, wait, 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 we have to film this. So we made the nurse leave and then come back in and make another entrance so that we could get it on camera. So they did. The nurse, the nurse left and then came back in with her. Um, and so they brought her in, and they said she was doing really well and that, she, that we have a very healthy baby and not to worry uh, I was still worried, of course. Um, and then the main issue after that was that my pain wasn't being managed properly. And this is, um, unfortunately, for people who don't know this, and I was told later by people who have had C-sections that, yeah, this is the case, 
that they don't really give anything between like morphine or hydromorphone, which is like a synthetic morphine and Tylenol if you're in pain. And I had had what I thought it might have not been the hydromorphone, but I thought that I had hallucinations and um, memory loss from the hydromorphone. So I kept refusing the hydromorphone and all they would give me was Tylenol. Um, because of that, I was in severe pain. I could hardly move. It was awful. Um, and so finally they ended up giving me codeine because I asked for it. And they were like, of course, they were like, we don't give codeine to people post-C-section. And I'm like, how not? Codeine actually works. Um, they gave me oxycodone, which is like in the same family, but oxycodone, yeah, oxycodone did nothing. So I'm like, give me codeine. I know I've taken codeine before. It works. So they gave it to me and then they took it away the next day because they're like, you're going to be trying to breastfeed. So we got to take it away. And I'll get into the breastfeeding thing later uh, because that's a whole other thing to discuss. But in the end, we ended up going home two days after she got out of the NICU because um, of some feeding issues. She was having trouble feeding because she was young. She was gestationally young. She had just had her lungs like suctioned out and all that. So she did have a lot of trouble feeding at first. And so they kept us an extra night. We were supposed to go home Thursday and they kept us the extra night. So in total, we were there four nights and five days. Um, and we took her home on the Friday, the Friday evening, we finally got home and it was really exciting. Even though I was in severe, severe agony, it was really exciting to bring the baby home. Um, and by then I had convinced them cause they had taken the coding away from me again. And then I was like, no, I need it back. I promise I won't breastfeed. And they gave it back to me. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And apparently because some women can't metabolize coding properly, if they're breastfeeding and it can be passed on to the baby and then the baby gets sick. So that's why they didn't want me on codeine. But anyway, well, this is an interesting topic because uh, the thing is that I went into this thing, I will not breastfeed. And this was just my personal choice. I didn't want to do it. Um, I was like, I want to get my body back on track as fast as possible. And that means no more physical connection to my child. That means me getting back on track and no breastfeeding. But when you're in the hospital, the breast is breast messaging is very, very strong. Um, and, and it is true to some point. I mean, it, it, it is very healthy for your kid to have breast milk. It's a little bit better than formula from what people say. But formula was created for a reason. And so I bowed to the pressure. They told me I was going to be pressured to breastfeed when I was at the hospital. They were not lying. I was pressured a lot. I mean, immediately when I went to the NICU on the Tuesday, uh, they were telling me to, um, you know, to, to try breastfeeding with her. And she did not take to breastfeeding well. I mean, she could barely, she was just learning how to breathe on her own. Um, so, you know, they had, uh, for most women, they actually start pumping immediately after the C-section. I at least got away with not having to pump after the C-section because I was so out of it that they couldn't have made me pump. Um, so, uh as the week went on, I was like, felt, felt more and more pressure to breastfeed. So I was finally like, okay, I'll do it. And then they brought in one of those big, huge pumps. And, um, I, they wanted me to pump every three hours. And I remember them saying at one point, oh my God, like your breasts are so heavy and full. And like, you must be in so much pain. We have to empty them for you. And I'm just like, those are not causing me pain. The incision, my uterus is causing me pain this i can deal with that um so the lactation consultant came in and she started helping me um express and it was just i was overwhelmed and i was just like all these hands are touching me like oh 
Um, I've, this is a, one of the reasons why I wanted to avoid breastfeeding too, is that I didn't want a whole bunch of strangers hands on my breasts. I just didn't want that. It was, it was freaking me out. But at this point I had resigned myself and I'm like, Oh, well, let's just do it. And then, so they gave me this pump and I had it overnight and they tell me I had to wake up every three hours to pump. Now I am in, again, I'm in severe pain and I don't know how women do this. So kudos to women who actually are able to pump every three hours after a C-section. You are amazing. Um, I, I think I remember pumping at one and I just lost it and I had near, a near breakdown and Dennis and I had a huge fight because I was just like, I was losing it. I did not want to pump. And then they told me you have to wake up at four to pump again. I woke up at six and pumped and I'm like, no, I'm not pumping every three hours. I don't have the energy. And then finally a different lactation consultant came in. This was the last day we were at the hospital on the Friday. And I finally just said to her, I don't want to breastfeed. And she was like, okay, that's fine. It was a relief. So she, she said, I said, you know what? I wouldn't mind trying it, but I said, I need to try it at home when the pressure's not on. And so she, she kind of came up with a plan for me, which is great. Um, I still felt that pressure being at home. So um, I've tried, I try like once a day to breastfeed her. It doesn't usually work very well. Um, cause, uh, cause I'm not breastfeeding her all the time. My milk supply is pretty terrible uh, right now. So she's not getting much. I pump with a hand pump once a day. Uh, I don't want to buy a pump because pumping actually made me feel very nauseous. And after nine months of nausea with pregnancy, I was like, I'm done with nausea. So um, the fact is she's getting way more out of formula. She's getting all of her vitamins that she needs out of formula right now. Yes, it would be great for her to have some breast milk. So I try to express where I can, but it also... You know, I'm still not recovered by any, I'm nowhere close to recovered. And every time I do even like um, a hand pump, just one of those ones where you squeeze everything yourself, it's one of those pumps, um, I'm exhausted. Hand expression, but it's actually like a, a manual pump. Sorry, a manual pump. That's the name. I'm exhausted and I'm nauseous and I'm, I feel awful. And as a matter of fact, just before coming on camera today, uh, Dennis and I had a discussion. I'm like, I would love to just be able to breastfeed her with no pumping and just a couple times a day and have that experience of her and I being close, but I cannot pump. I just, it, luckily the, the, the manual pump I bought was a president's choice brand from Loblaws and it only cost me $33. So it's like, okay, it was totally worth it. You know, like it already paid for itself. It gave her some breast milk. If I don't use it ever again, it's fine. But it's kind of something that I reevaluate as I go along, whether I really want to do it or whether or not. But um, at the moment, she's getting 95% of her daily intake is probably from formula. So, and you know what? She's doing really well now. So I can't, uh, I can't argue with that. Well, and I know like for me as a baby, I wasn't able to breastfeed because I was so weak and because I needed my mouth free to breathe. Like I, I had to breathe and if it was sucking or breathing, I was going to breathe. So, um, my parents actually started me really early on a cup. So I was drinking out of a cup way before any other babies do, because that way I could still breathe and drink. Um, so I, yeah, I, I don't know how old I was when I started on a cup, but I know they, they did it very, very early for me because it, it was so hard for me to even suck from a bottle. Um, but the other thing, something to keep in mind, and then I want to share with our audience is that, you know, if, if you're not up to breastfeeding, you don't have to. And it's, I know it's a message, it's the messaging is so strong and about 
rest is best. But honestly, as long as your kid is fed and they're fed the right vitamins and everything, they're going to be fine. And again, there's a reason formula was created. And if you don't want to breastfeed, you don't have to. And I know I'm saying this when I'm putting the guilt on myself for not breastfeeding myself all the time, but it's, you know, you should not feel guilty. And also if the most important thing is that you're feeling well and you're feeling healthy and if pumping every three hours or whatever the schedule is for you is making you feel awful, then why are you doing it when there is formula available for your child? So just something that I think people should be aware of is that, you know, it's, it's, Breast is not best for everybody, and it might be best for a baby, but it's not necessarily best for mom, and a happy mom is a happy baby. And you can't wait. If, if your milk isn't coming in, you cannot wait. You need to give your baby formula. Like, they absolutely need to eat. So that's that was kind of my thing was that, like, well, I'm, she's not going to starve. She has to eat. So if, my, if breastfeeding doesn't work, there's no way I'm sitting around waiting for it to work. She's going to eat no matter how she eats. And um, the other thing is obviously the pressure on social media too, because there's a huge movement on Instagram uh, with all this, with breastfeeding. And there's so many bloggers that are, that are very, very pro breastfeeding. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I am saying that that can be hard for people who don't want to breastfeed to see this online and not, you know, kind of fall victim to that pressure. And again, it's about making sure your kid is fed no matter how they're fed. Um, Cause you don't, you know, and, and a lot of my friends have said that it came down to that for them, too. Eventually, like they were like, OK, well, breastfeeding is not working. My kid needs to eat. So um, and, and a fun fact about formula, what I'm using right now to hold my phone up to film this is actually a box of formula. Because <laughs> that was the only stand I had for my phone. I should really invest in some equipment, shouldn't I? It does. And so, I mean, the, the best thing about this whole thing is recovering from surgery. Dennis has been letting me sleep through the night and he's been doing the overnight feeds. And right now, Hannah is in a stage where she's cluster feeding. So there's some nights where she wants bottles every hour. And today she's wanted, she's for a while, she wanted her bottle every hour and a half. And so having Dennis there to help out and to feed her is a lifesaver. I would not be able to get through this time without it. And especially for someone with like mental health issues it is important to get your sleep. So I've been lucky enough to have more sleep now than I did when I was pregnant. Um, th that's going to change soon because Dennis does have to go back to work eventually. And I will be off work for the next year. So, um, you know, it will change. Once I feel better, I'll start getting up in the middle of the night with her. But until then, he's got my back and he's been a very supportive partner. And I could not survive this without him, I'll be honest. <laughs> Well, and that's what, so, so originally, like what we had to do in the, in the beginning was we had to weigh the, the risks and the benefits and all that. And I, my mother-in-law is young and spry and able to take care of babies. And so um, my parents aren't, they're, they're, you know, they're a little bit older, they're dealing with health issues. Um, so I called on my mother-in-law and I said, Hey, are you able to help us for at least a few days to take care of Hannah? Cause I said, you know, we're, this, this is the day we were going home from the hospital. I said, I'm in severe pain. There's not much I can do. I need help. Like Dennis can take care of Hannah, but I'm going to need help with laundry, with cleaning, with stuff like that. And she said, sure. She So she came over for four nights when we got home from the hospital. She helped out a lot. She helped out with baby care a lot. She fed her, she diapered her. She did. She stayed up at night with her. And now going forward, she's going to stay with us two nights a week. Um, until Hannah's a little bit older and sleeps through the night, which is 
great. She's been, and, and, you know, it's, it's good to have her around and we just had to weigh, okay, well, where has she been with COVID? She's only been to the grocery store and we're like, okay, well, we've also been to the grocery store. So the risk is about the same. Um, so, you know, we had to, at that point, we had to say, we need help. And so the other thing I would tell people is that if you need help and you need to call on a family member, you pick the, the family member who's one of the safest to come over and you know, you, you do have to live with a little bit of risk. There's really no way around it. If you need the help, you have to weigh the risk. But for us, it's been worth it. It's been absolutely worth it having her here. And she doesn't go anywhere now. And my father-in-law, who's he, he comes over to visit, but he's been, he doesn't stay over. Um, he also, the only place he goes is the grocery store. They don't take public transit. They're not out in public other than to go to the grocery store. So it's like, okay, you know, this is not a huge risk we're taking. So it's all about, yeah. And it sucks. Cause I know, I know Sarah, what you've said is that, that you would, if there wasn't a pandemic, you would be over helping us out and, and playing with Hannah and all that. And I think that would have been amazing. But, uh, and, and fun fact to our, to our viewers is that Sarah and I have actually never met each other in person. I think I might've mentioned this in, the, in another episode, but we've never met each other in person. We've been doing all of this virtually, uh, since July. So yeah, so so we're virtual friends, but we actually have not met in real life, which is pretty funny. Uh, so eventually we will. That's in the plans for summer 2021. Uh, but um, in the meantime, yeah, so it's it's been it's definitely been difficult. Um, and the other thing that I would like to mention too is that uh, because of my anxiety and my mental health issues, that I am definitely experiencing some postpartum depression. And uh, in fact, today before we started the show, I was having a bit of a meltdown. Um, and it's hard to want, you know, it's hard to actually admit that you're experiencing it and to seek help. And I'm still been very sub stubborn about seeking help. Um, so I would encourage other people not to be like me and to not be stubborn like me and to seek help if they find that they're really struggling. Um, having a baby is a big upheaval. It's a big change in your life. And if you're already dealing with a physical disability, visible, visible, whatever it may be, and mental health issues, it takes a toll. And so you, you know, have your friends check in on you, have people, even if, even if you don't reply, have your friends check in on you, have, have family check in on you, uh, keep the lines of communication open because you need it. Absolutely need it when there's a new baby in the house. And, and the other thing is too, is that it, it is hard to process when you have, when you've only had medical trauma that's that's been bad and then you have an emotional event in the middle of all this and hannah's the moment that hannah was pulled from my body was like the most terrifying and the most beautiful moment of my entire life as i call it it was both terrifyingly beautiful um and so thinking back to that still so when something is terrifyingly beautiful to process that and to process the trauma that's you know in in with the most amazing week of your life because your child is born it's very, very, very difficult to think back to that without, you know, upheaval and tears. And the other thing is too, is that I mentioned my whole pregnancy. I hated being pregnant. I absolutely hated my pregnancy. It was awful. Um, yes, nothing bad happened to me. Hannah was healthy. I was healthy. My heart never, nothing ever happened with my heart condition. It was great. But there is a loss when that baby is pulled out of you. And there is a grieving process that you have to go through because the baby is no longer attached to you anymore. And therefore, you can't sustain the baby on your own. Like, there's outside forces now at play. 
yeah. And that's, so that was what I was grieving. And I didn't know that like when I felt when my, when my psychotherapist mentioned this, she's like, you're grieving your pregnancy. And I'm like, that seems weird. Why would I grieve my pregnancy when I hated it? She's like, because you no longer have that baby inside you. The baby's out. And I never thought of it as grief. I thought of it more as just an emotional upheaval kind of thing. But she's like, no, it can be, you can grieve over that. It's okay. And so like, I don't, again, like, I don't mean to compare this to people who've actually had a loss with pregnancy, or I, I know people who have had stillbirths and it's, I can't even imagine the pain that anybody would go through with that. So I don't, it's not a comparison to that at all. It's just, it's, it's almost like, I think it would be more like when a parent sends their kid off to college and you're like, okay, you're no longer living at home. You're going to be living your own life. Uh, what am I going to do? Yeah. So it's hard for both mom and baby. And, um, so yeah. And I, and I, and you know, there's some days that I'm sure that Hannah wishes she were back in there because then she would have all her food delivered to her and everything. And she would get all the spicy food, which she doesn't get anymore from the formula. I ate a lot of spicy food while I was pregnant. So she probably, maybe she misses the spicy food. I don't know. Um, but when she's older, she's definitely going to have some spicy food. We're going to make sure of that. Um, I actually would like to bring her on camera. So, uh, yeah. So let me just. I'm going to get to bring her on camera too. Just FYI yes. to the audience. So she is awake. She's stirring now. So I'm going to go get her. <laughs> Come here, baby. Come here. All right, everyone. This is Hannah. Hi, Hannah. This is little Hannah, who I, who I, who we put in a new, a fresh sleeper and a bow in her hair ahead of this episode because she had spit up all over her last sleeper, which was already her second change today. Because this one likes to spit up a lot, doesn't she? Yes, she does. She's very sleepy right now. But uh, yes, this is Hannah. Yeah. Yeah, she's pretty precious and she makes the cutest noises. So what I will say is that this whole experience, even as, as much as I'm struggling right now and how I'm still recovering from the C-section and how hard it is with my mental health, I you you can't you I wouldn't miss this for the world. Like I'm so glad I did this. I'm so glad that even I was nauseous for nine for nine full months that I managed to do it. And I'm gonna be writing about this whole experience in my blog. I haven't gotten a chance to do it yet because obviously when there's a baby that needs 24-hour care and there's a house to take care of, uh, I'm just putting her down in my lap while I brush the hair from my face. Um, so when this is going on, you know, it's hard to sit down and write, but eventually I'm going to have that story written and there will be more details in there. So if anybody wants to check out my blog, it's uh, jackierosentoronto.blogspot.com. And I will have the whole story coming in the in the in the coming weeks posted on the blog site with photos, including some photos of her in the NICU, which uh, a lot of people will be able to relate to. Awesome. Any last comments before we wrap up? I do want to say that you made an excellent host today. Oh, thank you. You did a fantastic job. It's I, I I'm really enjoying this role rehearsal. So I'm hoping that um, you know in the next few episodes. Uh, we're going to have a, we have still a lot of episodes coming up this season. So we're going to have a role reversal for a few of them. Although I'm going to try to appear as in, in as many of them as possible, because as long as she is asleep, I can talk, right? Yeah. Mommy can talk. 
yeah, you're stretching. And you actually smell all nice and fresh now, which is great, because you did not smell that fresh before. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jackie, for coming on and taking the time out as a new mom and sharing your story and experience and walking us through from like your birth, from the delivery and just how it's been for you adjusting at home despite everything going on and your own personal recovery. We will definitely want to catch up with you again in a couple of months just to see how everything is going, how Hannah is. Um, so stay tuned. If you guys haven't watched our latest episode that was Black Disabled Life Matters, be sure to check it out and stay tuned for more. Yep, we got a really good lineup this year and I'm going to be back as host for the next episode, um, which will actually, you'll see the next episode was actually taped back in December. So the next episode coming up after this uh, I, I was back as host because I'm pregnant again um, <laughs> because it's back in time. We're going back in time on the next episode, but uh, it's a really, really interesting episode. We interview a Canadian actress who um, has had a kidney transplant and addiction issues. So that's going to be our next episode. We've been teasing it for a while. It is actually coming up next. We just had to postpone it a bit. So, and then we're going to have some really good episodes coming up for the rest of the season. Uh, and we've got some great ideas. Again, if you ever have an idea as a listener, as, a, as somebody who's viewing us, let us know. And uh, we're always looking for guests to be on the podcast. You've been listening to What's the Difference podcast. To hear all of our episodes or to watch our videos, visit whatsthedifferencepodcast.ca.